What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 185 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Dream Symbols. If you've been following the show, you know that we've been promoting these Dream Hang events for Dream Symbols. So there's one coming up on April 13th. This is in Hartford, Connecticut. So if you're not in the Connecticut, Hartford area, Parkville Sound Studios, April 13th, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Go down to the studio, hang out with Scott Pellegrin, be there to demo everything. Uh, They'll have, I think, 50 or so symbols for you to check out. If you want to buy anything, you can definitely leave with it. Um, It's informal, just kind of of loose. Check out some gear, play some drums. Again, that is April 13th, 12 to 3 p.m. That is at... The Parkville Sound Studios. Go to uh, Dream's Facebook page. You can see the event there. Get the address and all of that. Again, that's the Dream Hang, Connecticut, on April 13th. This episode is also brought to you by Music Pro Insurance. So this is an option if you need to get your gear insured. This would be a great option, especially if you're going to be touring and have your stuff in vans all around the country. Those are easy targets. Um, If you go to musicproinsurance.com, you can pay, if you pay 150 bucks, you will get up to $12,000 worth of coverage for your gear. Um, they are saying that this could be an option. Um, you can't assume that your homeowners or renter's insurance will always help you if your gear gets damaged, lost, or stolen. So again, if you're looking for something to cover your expenses for your kit and your gear, musicproinsurance.com, great option. Um, it's 150 bucks, and you get $12,000 worth of coverage. Again, go to musicproinsurance.com for more info. All right, now it's time to get the show rolling. We've got an intro beat here from Sean, so check it out and enjoy the show. Crazy. So you're where you're in England, Glasgow, and I think Glasgow, Scotland. I think our delay is less when you're there than when you're in California. It's definitely less. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! Great. What's You're up, Scotland? buddy? Sorry, not England. I don't want to yeah. insult anyone. <laughs> no one's insulted. I can tell you though. So I was in Manchester last night. That's where I played last night, and then we drove this morning to Glasgow, Scotland. Which, as an American, especially a Californian, I was like, "What do you mean we're driving to Scotland? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's two and a half hours." <laughs> How an accent can change so much in two and a half hours of driving, I don't understand. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's true. Because you're in California, the accents don't change. But I mean, we've got New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, West Virginia. I mean, unless you're in like a crazy small town, it never gets to the point that you can't understand English. (laughs) Here, it was three hours difference. Walked into the hotel and it was like, you know, I, I don't, bro. I have to tell you right now. That was a terrible accent. Bury the, the beater. <laughs> Bury the beater in Welsh is the hardest sentence I've ever. Just a guy with a with a Welsh accent. When I was in uh, Cardiff, it's the hardest sentence I've ever tried to understand during a clinic. Uh, a guy was asking me about burying the beater, and it was just like I don't even know what happened. Heard over here. Like, that's like Irish, but it was it was so hard to understand. Oh, and you're it was insulting like, everyone right now. I know. <laughs> and, and the guy was so sweet, and I'm looking at him, and like at, at some point you have to like reset and say, um, "We're not being funny anymore, sir." I, I truly don't understand I what don't you're saying. Know what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> and then like, can you say the first word? <laughs> and then the second. And and I now I am one American that pretty much starts every European clinic, especially English clinics. If I'm in England or, um, anywhere like in Cardiff, you know, like I'm telling the Welsh, Hey, y'all made my language. Every part of this is my fault. Okay. So I'm going in freely admitting there's no point when I'm in 
London that it's their fault. You invented my language. It's all my fault. Just bear with me. So, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, the Welsh Clinic was the one with the wireless headphones. Yeah, Crazy. so what is that all about? How'd they do that? So I don't know if it was Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. I thought it was Bluetooth, but Bluetooth usually has some latency. I mean, even when I'm holding my phone with yeah, right. a Bluetooth and watching YouTube, there's latency. So I don't know exactly the technology. I know that um, they had done it before at the UK drum show, kind of like a jam thing where drummers could sit in on a kit and and there was no PA, but they could hear everybody and jam with other musicians. So I know they'd tried it before. So they ordered 150 sets of headphones. Um, it was a small store. It sold out at 75 people. So they had two sets of headphones for everyone in case something went down. Mm. And this company, from what I understand, you, you're you paying per set of headphones. So they, it might be $2 per set of headphones. So, okay. So really, in the end... If you had 150 people and they all had one set of headphones, you're looking at $300, which is probably about the same you'd pay for a really nice PA system to rent. Right. right. So it's not astronomical at all. But I was really when, – when the idea was brought up to me, I was not for it at, at all. I was like, man, the whole reason I'm doing clinics is to get people to yeah, be in the stare, room with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I don't want them holding their phones Talking and listening on wireless yeah, headphones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like why don't I stay home? So – and it couldn't have been more opposite of that. It was the most intimate clinic I've ever played. Uh, I told Amber as soon as I got home – and this is a mix of the store – the people that run it, the store was called Drumazon, um, the the venue, everything. But that was my favorite clinic of my entire career. I mean, all the way back to PASIC and everything. So um, you had like yeah. a, a lavalier mic or something? How were you able no, to No, so, so they only wore their headphones when I played my tracks. Oh, okay. And then they had, but I mean, they literally, we mixed kick, snare, overhead, everything, and my track. And then they all got that mix. And then all of them had control over the volume on their headphones. That's really cool. But that, like, I mean, people coming up to me saying like, man, I've seen you in clinic three times. I didn't know you rolled your fingers into backbeats and stuff. And now I could hear every nuance plus your track perfectly. So nice. I definitely was blown away by it. And then, I mean, the owners, they decorated the whole place fixer upper style, just like my house. It, I felt like I was doing a clinic at my house. I was like, <laughs> you guys know how to decorate, man. This is great. So that was great. Um, but all the clinics have been amazing. I have to say, though, to all of our UK fans, men, thank you so much. You guys know so much about Mike and I. It's it's scary, but really, really cool. Really cool. They they all listen to the podcast. And uh, and you are in demand, sir. They're always like, you got to bring Dawson. Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not telling him not to come. <laughs> but you don't understand. I have endorsements. He's not allowed to have endorsements. There's no one to yeah. pay for him to come. Yep, I don't have a... Uh, yeah, air to airfare, baby. Airfare, baby. Yeah, exactly. I've never day. told Mike, hey... You can't go. Like, yeah. No, no. I'm, like, I'm going to go do all this stuff. You just yeah. stay there. <laughs> exactly. You've been invited. Everyone's willing to pay for you, but I really don't want you. No. Um, so I think hopefully someday we could do it. Uh, I know uh, we're in talks to maybe do a clinic tour with me and Ash over here. Um, oh, but I, cool. I definitely want to make the UK uh, a yearly obligation uh, or a yearly priority because I just love being over here and being able to teach like myself and I don't have to adapt anything um, they you know it's just it's just fun and they, and they they're starved for it man I mean the turnout these things have been selling out so fast all the store owners have told me that these this batch of clinics sold out faster than any clinics they've ever had and I don't think that has much to do with me as much as it has to do with people 
are hearing the podcast. They're they know that it's happening, and they're just kind of hungry for it, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's one thing that uh, you can't replace is the face to face interaction. I mean, totally. I know I've learned the most, and also like like kind of been humbled the most when I see people in the flesh perform. Like, oh, yeah. And also, sometimes I I kind of discover. The humanity, you know, like you're like, oh, Weckl is so inhuman, but then you see him live and like, okay, there is, there's some humanness to this that doesn't translate to to the recordings as much. Yeah. And even, um, even the speaking there, you know, he's a very deliberate speaker. So even when he touches the microphone and I think there's going to be some canned sentence to come out, Mm. what he says, I'm like, oh, he's in the moment. He knows exactly where he is, what he's doing. He's, he's cognizant of everything around him. And, and then the other thing is on the opposite end of the spectrum, sometimes you realize that that person's personality has been built through careful editing, you know? So it's a chance, uh, to get to do things a little bit different and see our favorite drummers. The one thing that you have to be ready for, and I think you are in a closer boat to me on this, is however you set yourself up online, whatever your online persona is, you have to be ready for the consequences of that. So if one of our Uber drummers that only drums and never speaks to Instagram, never speaks to YouTube, if they come and do a clinic, when it's over, there's an autograph line and they sign autographs one at a time and get out the door. They're not rude, but they're just doing that. But you and I have given ourselves to the public. So you have to be ready that they're going to drop their life story on you. And there's a hundred of them, (laughs) a hundred of them. And yeah, the after show takes longer than the actual show. It did every night so far. And you can't afford to not be engaged in that moment because this, they've waited years to tell you whatever it is they have to tell you. And so, uh, it's something that, you know, I, I would say for any future clinicians out there, just know that you have to be prepared for that. And you, you know, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a great responsibility that people want to share their personal stories with you, but definitely the after show takes a while. <laughs> you know, speaking of face to face, I got to see, um, Aaron Steele play a gig here in New York and I've been a fan of oh, okay. his, uh, mainly through just his Instagram page. And then I realized we have mutual friends and, it was crazy. So I went to see him play at the Iridium and to see him play live in the flesh was one of those moments. Like that's everyone in the room could tell that's how you groove. It was like, okay, that's, mm. that's real deal. His right hand is so smooth. Um, so anyway, I know Aaron listed a show. So good to see you. Hopefully you could do it again, but if everyone could follow him, if you don't already, Aaron Steele, I think it's S T E E L E. He's a badass. So just to see him play, um, like all Bill Withers songs, so it's all the stuff that we're oh, all like totally my into. Goodness. <laughs> and it's all stuff too that you know would be daunting for us to play because you know you're getting compared. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, just straight he, off. I think he came right out with uh, "Ain't No Sunshine," of course. Oh, man. <laughs> when that uh, when that B section hits and the Gadsden groove kicks in, it's good uh, yeah. stuff. Hey, uh, I have a question. Do you know? Fantastic! Really excited that I just forgot his name. <laughs> John, Jonathan, John, John, Dag, Nabbit, Fluffy Puppy, Mother of Pearl, John. Uh, I wish I could Coltrane. help you out here. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Never heard of John Coltrane, eh? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Biscuits, man. I, I I can't let it go. I have to know. Anyways, I did a uh, the first clinic I did was with a drummer that I'd never heard of, but he's uh, actually quite an accomplished session drummer over here. And he was one of those guys that as soon as he played, I mean, like as soon as he touched the drums, uh, John Atkinson, that's his nope, name. Nope, not familiar at all. That okay. was the uh, the festival. I wanted to ask you about that, too. 
Yeah. Yeah, Um, uh, So, yeah, so John Atkinson was on that, and it was one of those guys where he talked a lot. His role there was to talk about what the session world is like and and being Mm -hmm. a a London session drummer and a UK session drummer. And, uh, and he's, I mean, he's, he's in that Ash Stone world where he's played with everybody and you can't even imagine it. And he's also in that Ash Stone world of being a complete gentleman, never bragging about the stuff he's done. It just, if you ask a question, I mean, he can't not answer it truthfully. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, I did do this. But so he was very, very polite. But as soon as he played, it was like the whole room got new acoustics just because he was playing. It, it, uh, yeah. And I don't That's know how people magic. do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, Matt Chamberlain said that about Keltner. Like, when Keltner okay. would sit down at his kit, the bass drum would be an octave deeper, just automatically. Like, something changed. I, I mean, this was a vintage Gretsch kit. Uh, I played his kit. It sounded like I played any kit. And then he <laughs> sat down to play a track. Now, him messing around on his drum sounded like drum. Well, he sounded very good. But when he played a track, it was kind of that J.R. Robinson thing. Mm. When you see him just kind of twiddle around the drums you're like all right cool man i guess the dude can play and then when he plays a track it's like oh this is like sinks into it yeah so it, it was really cool so huge love to john atkinson i had a, a great time just catching up with him and learning more about him and yeah the festival was cool man it was really cool it was it was well run and we had a blast and uh awkwardly enough there were 200 bananas there which was just a what? weird thing <laughs> yeah the the promoter uh reached out to a few companies to support the clinic and one of the companies was a fruit company and they uh, said no bananas? we can't give you any money but we can give you 200 bananas and bananas? <laughs> i know I like, 200 <laughs> no and I, so everybody went home with like bushels of bananas it was quite weird but pretty cool so anyways it's been an amazing tour <laughs> Uh, tomorrow I am it's playing. It's almost offensive. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow I'm at Drummers Only in Glasgow, and uh, that is sold out. And then I'm off to home and start teaching again. Yeah. All right. You ready to get into some stuff? All right. What are we dig into for soloing? I'm thinking and improvisation. Fine by me. I'm not scared. You want to do that, or you want to do this flip through the reader's poll? We haven't done that. No, let's do. Uh, let's talk a little education, okay, and then we'll cool. go to the reader's poll. Read it. All of our winners of the reader's poll can be our feature drummer this week. Yeah, exactly. So, soloing and improvisation, let's go with you first, since you're doing clinics now. Mm-hmm. Have you had an open solo yet at a clinic? No music, no backing tracks, just Mike Dawson unleashed seven minutes. Yes, but the caveat for me is I don't play solos. I just, I just compose music. I don't. So there'll never be a moment when I do the single stroke roll slow to fast or, you know, right. that the drum solo stuff. So, yes, I have, but, and it's not because I don't respect drum solos. It's just for my own psyche. If I say I'm playing a drum solo, that puts me in a certain <laughs> mindset. If I say I want to sit down and just make up a piece of music, I can do that. So that's the first now, strategy for me is okay. just delineating. I'm comfortable with the idea of making a piece of music from scratch. Sure. I'm uncomfortable with the idea of trying to be Buddy Rich. It's just... It's so funny. As soon as you said anything, I was just thinking, like, my first Buddy Rich cassette tape, and that's what that was my introduction to drum solos. And yeah. when I... And even 40 years later, when I think of drum solos, I just... I think of that, and I'm like, oh, God, that mm-hmm. seems daunting. Um, so, okay, so I have a question. When you play when you're making you know spontaneous composition do you involve your electronics for that 
just depends. Not always. So this. Okay. So usually when I because a lot of my teaching has been on this idea because it's I've been trying to solve my own insecurity about how to just play drums in front of people. Okay. So it's all these different strategies. So there's there, I always start out with just a pair of mallets and a drum set, and what am I going to do? That's okay. always my first strategy, and then later it gets into well using electronics as a device to create ostinatos and rhythmic themes and. Because when I think of you as a player, you know, I don't think of you as somebody that's using electronics to cover up the drum set. I I think of your electronics the exact same way I would think of my cowbell or if I added a china. Like, you hear that stuff in your head. It's who you are as a player. And so it's part of your instrument. You're a true hybrid drummer, you know? Yeah, that's the goal. I I think of, I mean, I listen to so much Brian Eno ambient music. So that that to me is what the role of the loops and stuff is it's not to mm. create crazy layers of rhythm that i can't physically play it's to set a right. literal atmosphere for me to yeah, move to play yeah. within and then it, it just that inspires you know because it'll never be some kind of rhythmic theme that's in that even if it's subtle so then that becomes my anchor for when i'm playing over top of it without me feeling like i have to like play the parts you know it's, it's gotcha. more like just this this texture that i can kind of whatever emotion it puts me into i, I kind of stick with it which i like that because then i don't i don't go into any stock stuff it's not like now i gotta play right. the the halftime beat and i've got to play the latin <laughs> part right. it's like that's yeah. the vibes i've got five minutes to just live in this world and see where it takes me sure so are you conscious in the moment this is something that i had to build while becoming a clinician i had to be very conscious of how long i had played a particular dynamic a particular Mm. density and make sure that i didn't stay there too long because no matter how amazing it is it can be very monotonous after 30 seconds of it and so now i'm i'm very conscious like a producer like wow we've been up in this forte realm for quite a while let's give their ears their chest their breathing a break and bring it down and then i'm also asking myself about the density of notes what has been my overriding subdivision like oh i've been i've been up in 16th note triplets and 32nd notes for quite a while let's let's drop it all the way to a quarter note pulse and rebuild do you do you produce yourself in the moment like that yeah i would say it's somewhere i think i probably mentioned it to you before there's there's two things that that i experienced in the past year that kind of guided me in in this this concept and one was uh, i took a master class with a video game producer who produces the soundtracks and the one thing that stuck was he said every four measures something has to change whether it's a new element gets introduced or something gets subtracted or we shift to a different texture so every four bars something changes that's the only way that that music and video games will work makes sense yeah um so that is in the back of my mind like every four bars i'm kind of reevaluating. is this cool stay with it or do i change and then yeah and the other thing is similar is um i know i'd mentioned i can't remember pronounce his name yannick the bass player um plays with uh, you know him anyway i can't pronounce his last time he's he's great but he put oh yeah up yeah a, no we've talked yeah, yeah yeah he put up a video a while ago instagram about, stuff yeah and his idea is every time he plays a phrase he asks himself do i want to explore it more or do i want to change to something else so that mm. those two things it's like do i like what i just played is there some more ideas i can get out of it or is it time to just go somewhere yeah. else so that kind of gets rid of the any kind of like blocks of well i'm 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 committed to this halftime shuffle. I'm going to have to just stay there. It's like every four bars yeah. I can say, nah, am I done or not? <laughs> I mean, if, you know, finding 
for any young soloist finding some Keith Carlock solos to find out how abrupt that decision can be. And if you do that decision with confidence, it works out just fine. Right. I mean, you can matter. literally, there is no transition. Yeah. He hits a crash and it's 30 BPM slower. <laughs> and now it, we're not swinging and we're straight. And you accept it within a bar of time. You accept the change because he knows it wasn't an accident. Yeah, And that's, I think what we're looking for in our soloists when we're in the crowd, I'm never, you know, I mean, this is the stuff I have to remember while I'm on stage. It's what's get, it's what gets me through this stuff is I think about, well, what was I thinking last time I was in the crowd? Last time I went to a drum clinic was the UK drum show. I was performing, and but I was there a day early to see Benny and um, Stanton and a few others. And it, at no point did I judge any of them. It wasn't even mm. on my mind to think, are they good? The only thing that ever comes up when I'm watching a clinician is, do I feel comfortable in the audience or am I nervous for them? Interesting. And that's the only thing that can mess with me as an audience member. But the last thing I've ever thought is like, he missed that note or his singles were sloppy. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I've seen some of the greatest drummers in the world off their game because maybe they just flew in from Beijing. And that never even occurred to me until they told me later but the, but if somebody looks unsure of themselves and is doing the thing, I always call it the phantom foul, like when an NBA player <laughs> fakes a foul and he just yells to get the ref's attention. I hate that. When you mess so up a drum fill and you yell, I, I really only know you that. messed up because you yelled. <laughs> that, that, that's worse. We want to talk about drumming pet peeves. That'd be one for me when you're so worried about what you played that you like yell at yourself while you're playing. Like, right. Don't do that. Just and you're not yelling at yourself. You're yelling to make sure the crowd knows, no, I know I messed up right there. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you would have been fine. Just it keep on going. mess up. That's the call. Yeah, exactly. Question. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that having that four-bar phrase thing is definitely something I completely agree with. I'm, I'm never just randomly going. It, it can sound like that. But when I started really digging into Weckl's solos, in the beginning, it sounded like the dude just randomly played stuff for a mm. long time. And then eventually it was like, oh, there's a theme. Um, and yep. that, just even that thematic repetition was a big thing for me, like learning that, okay, my theme right now is rack tom, snare drum, and bass drum. I can play anything I want, but I'm going to stay with this theme and this sound and these tonalities that are going out to the crowd. And, it, and I'm going to explore without ever moving. Or... Uh, something like the Jojo Mayer thing that he did at PASIC. My pattern is the theme. Now I'm going to explore the entire orchestration. But yeah. there's something binding it all together, whether the audience knows it or not. I know it as a soloist. I'm not just free-floating all over the place and randomly hitting crap. Yeah, you know? yeah. the big thing for me is always remember to take a breath, a musical breath mm -hmm. and an actual physical breath. Like, yeah. make a statement, let it let it sit what are you going to do next like that's drummers drummers guitarists pianists i think are the most guilty of not doing that because we don't actually have to breathe to play our instruments right. yeah so we can just keep Great on point. going and going but if you like just now i lost my breath i had to stop i had to think what was i right. trying to say but yeah. if you play trumpet you can only go four bars before like you have no more air and you have to yeah, stop yeah. it's a good point so that's something i always try to remember is like just because my hands can keep going for eight hours play a statement think about what you just played and yeah. then go to something else or explore it more that's when i'm thinking more like a melodic solo but even in like a groove solo the hands go on autopilot for me if it's a bass drum is playing the melody i'm still thinking like play something stop for a second play something else stop for a second it's, i think that's often overlooked and that's probably my biggest aversion to like the the quote-unquote drum clinic solo is 
it's just gets to be this impressive highlights of chops and right. i find it just exhausting 30 seconds in i'm like I, I i get it man you can play fast and loud and complicated right. but i'm not reading a textbook here like i want to i want to hear some yeah. some music it's tough yeah i think i think it's uh there is a balance there because I feel like, I mean, it's a great time to talk about it because I'm currently on a clinic tour. And I know that one thing I'm trying to do on this clinic tour that I don't think I've ever accomplished very well is I want them to hear me instead of hear what I think should happen at a clinic. Yeah. Because yeah. what I think should happen at a clinic is not how I play drums. Yeah. And so I'm trying really hard to, it's funny, I've, the way that you tell the audience, I'm going to compose some music now, and then that's your way to get your mind out of saying, I'm going to do a drum solo. Mm -hmm. I probably have played seven or eight solos, and they're always in the guise of, let me demonstrate what I just taught you. But uh, then I go on a four-minute journey, right, and right. it shows up five or six times, but I'm playing a million things other than what I just taught. And the one thing I'm, I'm trying really hard to do that I've noticed is when I think it's okay to go on autopilot, I get lost in the phrasing. I get lost in the ideas. I really am just playing autopilot drumming. Mm. But if I can be in the moment and sing the whole time, yeah. it's so much more musical. Because honestly, I can only sing musical things. I can't sing the chops that I can play. <laughs> right. Because it would sound like... <laughs> <laughs> right? I, don't, I don't ever sing that. But if I'm singing... <laughs> glad to get, it's somewhat musical and it's, it's much more easy to understand and then i can also because i'm singing it while it's playing i can repeat it and yeah i i really enjoy i think um benny's first dvd had that exercise where you would improvise one bar and repeat one bar yeah and i do something similar where whatever i play on bar one of the four bar phrase becomes the motif and then that motif stays for the next three bars, but half of it's improvised and half of it's that motif. So it, mm -hmm. it's I know what the starting point is, um, and I'm usually and that's more like eight bar phrases because I'm doing like two bar phrases for four cycles, mm -hmm. and then every eight bars I'm resetting with a new motif. But the audience wouldn't really know because it's not like a massive statement. It's just it might be the first three notes. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm. Right, left, right will start everything and then flam kick kick will start everything on the next cycle or whatever it is so yeah there's so many devices i think one that i'm trying to explore now is is re repeat yourself but vary it just enough at the end of the repeat that then that becomes the the leading inspiration yes. for the next idea mm -hmm. and that's coming for me definitely from a jazz background of like never finishing a phrase actually you just keep it going so it's just this right. perpetual development of a theme that that morphs into new themes and i mean that's that's way off in the distance for me but that's kind of what i'm thinking if i'm even when i'm playing beats yeah. i think like okay i play one measure i'm going to play the same thing but i'm going to change something and then whatever i change is actually going to become the anchor for the next thing so it just keeps yeah. evolving but it's related to the, what i started with again it might sound like i'm just playing but it's all for me to get rid of that anxiety of i don't know what the hell to play yeah, I mean, that's something that I still haven't done, and I don't know that I'm ever going to want to do that, is I've never sat down and told the crowd, I'm going to play a solo for you, let's see what happens. Like, there's something mm. that I've kind of thought about, and it could be as simple as, honestly, a tempo. Like, okay, I'm going to solo in this tempo, it's going to start sparse, and, and it might have this rhythmic hook to it. Uh, I, I, I still 
I don't know how long it's been since that Modern Drummer Festival with Nathaniel Townsley, but I still can't get away from that rhythmic hook of just mm. the one and the uh. It's such yeah. a great two-bar phrase. Boom, gun. And then I, I like do whatever I want, do whatever yeah. I want, do whatever I want. Boom, gun. <laughs> it's like, cool. Yeah, um, I think that's you know, when that's, like, like syncopation is a good source for that. You can just grab one measure yeah. and say, that's my theme, and I'm going to play yep. that, and then I have a measure do my own thing. I come back to the theme. I don't have to play the theme the same way every time, but as long yeah. as I hit that anchor rhythm... Then you've got yeah. one bar or three bars to explore. Uh, yeah, again, it's for, it's always the like what what are you going to play next? Or that's mm. the anxiety for me. Inevitably, if I don't know what I'm going to play, I just noodle and then what the hell am I doing? It sounds like a motorcycle. Right. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what I, I. It's funny. Like what might be the most impressive to the intermediate drummers in the crowd is the stuff i'm the most sick at myself about playing you're like, oh, it's like dude, you, know, <laughs> you know that was that bull crap flubbity flubbity chop um so i would give a little bit of advice to our future clinicians out there um people that are going to have to handle a 90 minute slot or a 60 minute slot in a clinic form one thing that i've noticed over the last two or three years is I used to have my tracks and like literally a 10 minute drum solo towards the end. And that is so much more daunting than having three or four three minute solos throughout the clinic mm. that are just demonstrations, but still have all the fanfare and everything. But I don't have to keep your attention for 10 minutes of drumming. It's such an abnormal expectation. Like it is for you as the player and for the audience, frankly. I mean, at three yeah. we're used to three minute songs and you now you're going to play 15 minutes of drumming or 45 right. minutes of drumming which i've seen uh, yeah. many many uh, times i just uh yeah i just turned down that five week tour in china because i was like <laughs> they don't they want me to rip for an hour i'm not gonna i don't i don't want to do that i have no desire to do that uh so all right well hopefully this helps some of you understand that between Mike and myself, we're both clinicians. We both played our entire lives, and we still get anxiety about drum solos and how to f really tell an engaging story without uh, turning it into something negative. You know, I mean, it starts yeah. off good, but then all of a sudden you start r talking to yourself in your head as you're playing, and it just goes down <laughs> downhill from there. So if you can stay in the moment, if you can sing your parts, if you can make things musical, I promise, even with a room full of drummers, Musical drumming wins out over impressive drumming because yeah, human yeah. beings can can sing that stuff. I mean, think about this is the one question I'd like to leave you guys with on this topic. When you hear someone play a drum solo, what can you sing back to me? And if there's nothing, it doesn't matter how impressive it was. I can sing probably 15 of uh, Dave DiCenzo's motifs from his modern drummer clinic mm -hmm. solo i can sing the whole tony royster clinic or mm. solo i mean I, I can when he goes into the go-go beat when he goes into his flip the <laughs> right. splashes double bass thing I, I know the whole thing and those it, it was impressive but it was very theme based yeah. know, he had themes that he just kept cycling through and same thing with nathaniel townsley so hope that helps all right you ready to talk uh, a little modern yeah let's go through our award winners i know we're at the end of the cycle for the april issue but you know we haven't actually talked about it yet so i figure why not so here's the first one that, I, that i've seen a little bit of controversy which i don't understand but hall of fame winner this year was the great dave Grohl. there's i didn't know there was controversy yeah there was a bit and i kind of likened okay. it to you know well f for at least for me dave Grohl represents he's my ringo star like when okay. i when i heard nirvana for the first time i joined a punk band like yeah. i'd played drums for a couple of years it was mostly 
punk songs with my brother in, in our bedroom or classic rock with my uncle. And it was fun. I played in school when I heard Nirvana on the way to basketball practice in seventh grade. It's like, I'm starting my own band. Like, that was it. Yeah. So that is my Ringo moment. Um, so for also, me, it's a no-brainer. Listeners, please know that Mike does not choose the winner. So even though he's saying all these things about Dave, it's not like he was like, get off my case. I no, chose I didn't Dave even vote. Rules. I mean, I didn't even vote in yeah. the poll. Okay. Cool. <laughs> but so the controversy, I kind of liken it to, if you go back to the Ringo era, how everyone hated on Ringo because they were coming out of the Buddy Rich swing era. So mm-hmm. the guy can't play, he can't swing. Well, it's a different thing and it doesn't really matter because it changed the course of history in a it changed the sense. entire industry. I mean, yeah. Ludwig, who knows where Ludwig would be without that one appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. They, I mean, they could exactly. not keep Black Oyster, you know, whatever the finishes in stock. The Ringo kit. I think the other thing with, with Dave, though, is when I look back at that time when he came out, uh, you know, you you had to choose who's your guy. Is it Dave Grohl? Is it Dave Abrazis? Is it uh, Tim Alexander? Who is your guy? Well, who's currently dominating the world? Yeah, Dave Grohl. Like <laughs> right. he's still in it. It's not like oh yeah, let's put him in the Hall of Fame. He had two great years in the '90s. I mean, he's made it through things, and he's still so influential on the drums, mm-hmm. even as a lead singer songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely more more projects coming out with him playing drums this year. From I mean, that Queens Street. of the Stone Age thing changed a lot because people were kind of like, ah, he's on, he's on to the Foo Fighters for for good now. Yeah. Taylor's now in the band, so he doesn't have to record drums himself anymore. And then he did that Queens album, and it was just like, okay, yeah. dude's a man. He's got the Midas touch. I mean, think about it. Nirvana wouldn't have been big if it wasn't for him. Foo Fighters mm-hmm. is all him. Queens of Stone Age, would any of us know who Queens of Stone Age if, if he didn't no, play? No, I mean, the whole thing <laughs> was that Dave Grohl just did the Queens of the Stone Age album. You <laughs> right. have to get it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was telling me who played bass on it, so I think it's the same. <clears throat> no Anyways. disrespect for those guys, but still. No, 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 because they are all bigger than us. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Taylor, he won the modern rock category, which I think is just an obvious uh, an obvious selection. Is there a bigger rock band than the Foo Fighters right now? No, I and I, I, so. I hope that there will be. I hope that's not an obvious selection a year from now because we need more rock bands. We need more rock drummers. Um, it's it's something that it bums me out. Uh, I mean, I, Dave talks about it in the documentary and makes fun of it that he's like, we're on every award show because the Academy doesn't know any other rock band. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not a good thing. <laughs> um, so, But that's great. I mean, Taylor is massively influential. Yeah, okay, so then classic rock, Todd Zuckerman. Again, I think there's probably not a more amazing drummer in that genre currently yeah. walking the earth. That guy could honestly win every category, and I'd have no problem with it. If you <laughs> right. said up-and-coming, <laughs> modern fusion, country, and classic rock, I'd be like, yeah, totally, I agree. Oh, man, classic jazz, Jack DeJohnette is still kicking butt. I, I would say, for my opinion, it's biased because I love Jack's playing. We have not even come close to touching the level that he's reached. He's been pushing the bar so far ahead for everyone. I mean, you can listen to stuff he did in the early 70s that no one even knew existed. It's It sounds like today. It sounds like a Thundercat record or something. Yeah. Uh, and I think his second solo record was him on piano, not even on drums. I just look at his symbols that came out in the 90s and think uh yeah minel calls those the brand new extra dry things right? <laughs> you know 
And I just remember thinking when they came out, I was like, well, this guy clearly can't play. Didn't even polish his cymbals. <laughs> and I, think it, I mean, his, his black Aquarian heads. I mean, yep, before totally. that was in a time when everyone wanted the most ring and it, as possible. And yeah. he came out with these heavy, thick-coated, dry-sounding heads. Yeah. Yeah, he's the man. He's, he's my all-time art hero for sure. Um, R&B, funk, hip-hop, Nate Smith. I think this was a great year for him. Still killing yeah. it. Um, which is cool to see that that finally the, the world caught up with how awesome he is. Yeah, and he's another guy that could be in four or five different categories and win, and yeah. I'd be totally fine with it. Yeah, he could have won Modern Jazz, I think. Studio, uh, Matt Chamberlain again, the man. I looked at his his credits for the past year; it's insane. I mean, I don't think anyone's making more records than him. I, I would I would hear arguments for someone else, but it's insane. In a world yeah. in an era when no one is making records <laughs> you know? and, and he's another one i mean you know you and i've been into him since the mid 90s and yeah. he's just and it's not like he's just clinging on to a career it's like his career is more fruitful than it's ever been yeah it's pretty amazing pretty amazing experimental rock matt johnson was saint vincent nice cool so i think our readers have really good taste i'm glad to see it the fact that our readers even or your readers excuse me i'm not involved the fact <laughs> that your readers even know who saint vincent is is awesome yeah well he, i think for matt that was a cool gig where he was replicating a lot of programmed drum parts live it's really really cool all right metal um chris adler lamb of god still topping the polls which yeah, i was I wonder... kind of surprised because gene hoagland came in second and i thought he might win yeah gene uh is from devon townsend yeah all pretty much yeah. i mean all everything. kinds of stuff yeah 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 yeah, I mean, I think, so do you have a category for new metal or what would the experimental metal, like where would, you know, Matt Garska and Matt Halper and that world live? Would that be in metal too? Um, no, we have. Or is that you can't play man, this rock? If, if, I, if everyone could sit in on our annual meeting of what are the categories, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> insane because um, there's a progressive category, which okay. has okay. that type of player in it. Okay. So metal, we went for more of a classic metal. Uh, yeah. Even though it's still pretty darn progressive, Chris Adler's pretty grip. It's definitely progressive. Hoagland, Aaron Gillespie, Blake Richardson, Bron Taylor. Those were the the, the runners-up. Uh, progressive, I think this is a perennial favorite. Gavin Harrison, I think he's, he's definitely tops. I think being in King Crimson kind of sealed the deal. He's the dude in that, yeah. that genre. I don't know how we can get anyone more more textbook progressive than king crimson uh modern jazz antonio sanchez great year for him that's awesome that's really cool yeah i'm glad to see that he's um really dedicated on his own project now which is cool it's like he's finally become a marquee name to he can book his own tours for his own band it's really really cool to see so quick question is bad ombre a group or is that the name of uh the album that he put out that's a good question. It was definitely the name of the album, but he might be calling the tour the Bad Hombres or something like that. Okay. Yeah, but it's his band, I think, is called Migration. I think that's what it's called. But yeah, he's one of my favorites. And I think, I might be wrong, I heard that Nate Smith might be playing with Pat Metheny while he's out. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. Hopefully I'm not uh, scooping anything here, but that's what I heard. I just became a massive Pat Metheny fan. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go a couple more. We've got uh, Pop, Tony Royster Jr. 
killing it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone in the drum world immediately would think of Tony Royster Jr. as a pop drummer, but that's what's been amazing about him the whole time. I mean, once he got that Jay-Z gig and we saw him just playing pocket for the entire gig, he established himself as a drummer that can play the biggest gigs in the world, you know, alongside guys like Brian Fraser Moore that can do the same thing. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. And I'm assuming that's mainly for the Katy Perry tour. Yeah, it was for sure. Yeah. Curious to see where he goes next with that. And how about this? Aaron Sterling won for his uh, Sounds of Sterloid Volume 2 online masterclass. Damn. That's pretty surprising. Uh, that, that might have a little bit to do with the podcast. We have pumped <laughs> that dude up. Like We've turned him into a freaking god. I think John but Mayer might have propped him up. Well, come on. Let's be honest. Who has the reach? Who has the reach? Yeah. I Brother Mayor, I, I mean, he's armed security at NAM. I'll tell you that John Mayer did. So, <laughs> well, well, you didn't see my security because they're very good at their jobs. But uh, they were like, "Hey, man, we saw you sign one autograph yesterday. We got we got to protect you." Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so that's a quick rundown. I think it's it was awesome. Um, I just wanted to make sure that we got through it and remind everyone that this is it's all in fun. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> you know, and the readers voted. We didn't handpick people to win this stuff. That's sure. always the thing. Is how do you guys pick this person to win? Like we didn't. I don't think anyone literally one person here can vote because it's locked to your uh, IP address. So once you vote once from your IP address, no one else can vote. Yeah. So there was one vote cast at Modern Drummer's Man. office for this. If you guys want to get some views, start doing some some live streaming selection committee stuff. Oh, oh man. man. I would love to see that meeting at Modern Drummer. <laughs> it's really the, the most ridiculous one is the categories. Like, what do we do? Do we how do we, do we how do we one? cover the entire world of music and drumming in, in six yeah. pages or whatever? Well, Congratulations to all the winners, to all the runners-up, especially any of you that this was your first year being a nominee. I know what it was like the first time I got nominated. I, I couldn't even, I just didn't even understand it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And uh, I hope it's not limited to IP addresses because my mom will get me to win. <laughs> but I, unfortunately it was. So, um, And winning one of those things was just uh, amazing. And so I, I know for any of you that this is your first year in uh, in the, being nominated, I know it's a really cool thing. So congratulations to all of you. Congratulations to the winners. And now it's time to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsors. Yeah, I mentioned it at the beginning of the show, but I want to remind you, April 13th, there's a dream hang happening at Parkville Sound Studio in Hartford, Connecticut. That is noon to 3 p.m. on Saturday, April 13th. Scott Pellegram will be there at Parkville Sound Studios. Go to Facebook, check out the event there. So go to Dream Symbols page and you'll see there's an event there. Also, if you're listening to this on Friday, tomorrow on the 30th, Dream is going to be at... Uh, music go round in fort collins colorado and kent aberle will be there the product specialist in dream arts will be there to play a little bit and demonstrate a bunch of stuff they're gonna have like 50 symbols with them just like all the other events so that is march 30th that's an all-day 10 a.m to 5 p.m event at music go round in fort collins so uh, definitely follow them on facebook so you can keep up to date with all these events they're trying to get all around the u.s this year so hopefully they come near you if you're in the u.s or if you have a request you can uh 
shoot them a message and say, hey, come to my town. This episode is also sponsored by Music Pro Insurance, a new sponsor for the podcast. And if you're interested in checking it out, go to musicproinsurance.com. All one word, musicproinsurance.com. Find out the details. But the short of it is you, you pay 150 bucks, you get up to $12,000 worth of coverage. And this can cover your gear um, due to theft or flood or water damage or earthquake or fire or uh, accident. Even if you break something by accident, it could be covered. Just go to musicproinsurance.com, $150. Bucks, you get $12,000 worth of gear coverage. Um, and this would be good if you're concerned about maybe your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance not covering your stuff if you're on the road or in your studio or whatever. So, again, go to musicproinsurance.com. You'll get more info there. All right. So, massive thanks to our sponsors. And now it is time to get into some candy. This is the nerd stuff. We started doing this last week, and we're doing more of it. And that is comparing the little tiny nuggets of drum stuff. We are talking about hoops, snare hoop shootouts. So you did triple triple flange versus die cast. Yeah. So, to set it up, Canopus sent me a bunch of drums to review, two of which are these, um, they're cal- what are they calling them? Um, California series snares or something. But... Uh, they're made from the exact same shell. So maple shell, exact same bearing edge. Everything's the same except for one has triple flange, one has die cast. So okay. I thought this is a perfect opportunity to demo both these drums, exact same tuning. I mean, I tried to be as exact as I could with the pitch of the heads, this, the tension of the wires, all of that, play the same music, <laughs> and then right. what does it actually translate to uh, when you compare the triple flange versus the die cast? So that's Did, where we're at. Was there any difference? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, should, we can definitely go through dropping some audio. I think, I think not what I expected. Um, okay, so maybe we should listen to them first, and let's then, do it. So let's do the high tension. So the first one is triple flange. Okay. So what I hear there is exactly why the snare that I've been prototyping with Gretsch doesn't have diecast hoops. Mm. It's not good or bad. It's just it is different. And I would say that for me, the diecast cuts better. If I was playing in a band, I would definitely, especially a rock band, it would be diecast all day because it's got a just a sharper attack. But I, I don't know. The drum didn't seem as sensitive to me. Um it didn't seem as snappy. Interesting, yeah, yeah. My my first um, reaction was that the the diecast made the drum sound more hi fi, but it also eliminated some of the goodness in the middle that I liked. Okay, yeah. Like I felt I like it was that. it was it was made the drum ring in a very pronounced pitch, yes. whereas the triple flange the note just kind of sprayed. So yes, I didn't feel exactly. like tent, like I needed to tune it out or dampen it whereas the die cast I'm like alright there's definitely a note there <laughs> yeah yeah that's exactly what I'm hearing yeah so um, it was interesting now, 
what about the feel do you did the drum feel different it didn't really it didn't really okay. i tried not to let my ears change what i thought it felt like um it kind of played i mean these these drums are flawless um so they they responded amazingly. You could whisper on them, and they would they would buzz. Um, sure. So I didn't I didn't really. I mean, I would. It felt like maybe the diecast was a little bit louder, but again, I think that could have just been the perception of the frequencies. And you're that not playing doing. a lot of rim shots to feel the major difference in the rim itself, right? Or are you? No, I am, but I, I don't really notice that. I guess I just okay. have caveman hands. I don't really notice it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay. So for me. At that tuning, I actually thought the diecast was appropriate. Um, okay. Now, as the tuning goes lower, I th- my my opinion definitely changed. So, let's go down to medium high. So I definitely hear the note that you were talking about way more pronounced at that tuning mm-hmm. on the diecast hoops. Yeah. I mean, they, that's definitely something where a producer would say, is there anything you can do with that overtone? <laughs> yeah, right. You're going to need to get some gels for that. Yeah. I, I think. mean, it's still pure, though. Like you said, the drum is fantastic. It's a pure note, but it's it's definitely a <laughs> – it's like a, it's singing. <laughs> yeah. And it's and, – and the, the triple flange in the room was singing just as much. You just don't feel like it is. It's wow, because it's, okay. it's wider, it's broader, it's more kind of natural. Whereas that die cats, it's like I'm hitting a note on a keyboard and there it is. Yeah, yeah, it's really there. Wow. And I'm looking, I don't see any snare mics. So you're just doing overhead? Yep, this is overheads. They Beautiful. are 44 inches above the bass drum pedal, ORTF position, and there's a bass drum mic four inches. It's the. Uh, the D12 VR that we talked about last time. Yeah, buddy. Ooh, the the bass is different, though. This is an old Rogers 22. Nice. Okay. So let's go go down to the medium. Now it seems like they are actually turning into two different drums. Yes, I felt that too. I felt like the triple flange, the pitch bend was happening. I could hear, I could feel it, and hear the pitch bend a little bit more. Whereas the the diecast still felt like it was just focused, punching that one yep. note. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just something where it's just it's going to be personal preference in the moment. But they are they're separating more and more as the as the tuning goes down which is not something i would have thought of at all yeah quite interesting and i and i'm i'm realizing that there was a drum i sold years ago <laughs> that had a bobinga shell with diecast hoops 
and I didn't like it because it just felt like rubbery in the mid range. Okay. And I think after hearing this this drum tuned medium, it's the same kind of thing, like a rubberiness to the tone. That the Got only it. difference is the the hoop. So if I would have swapped that freaking hoop out, <laughs> boom. <laughs> By the way, speaking of drums you've uh, had and sold, they uh, one of the shops I was in, which one was it? Uh, Rattle and Drum in Manchester. Uh, they had is that right? No, I was in Manchester last night. Rattle and Drum was in Derby, and they had a Signia used Signia that Whoa. a guy had brought in, um, and it was but it was an eighteen inch bass drum. And then 12, 13, 16 rack toms, or 12, 13 rack, and then 16 floor. Weird. Yeah. I was like, huh. But, it, <laughs> but they wanted, like, nothing for it. They wanted, like, like 1,400. Um, and I was like, I might pay that just for the kick. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just want to take pictures. What, do you still have your Signia? I do. I still have it. I actually just sold the 10-inch um, tom to Carson. Carson uh-huh. uh, Gant. Yeah, yeah, of course. He's got the exact same kit as me, but he didn't have a 10-inch Tom, and he, and he just no reached way. out. I was like, are you any way you'd be interested in selling that? I'm like, you know, that drum has not left my closet in a decade, so I would love for you to take yes, it. Yes, $1,200. <laughs> 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 no, he's got a happy new home. It's awesome. That, That's awesome, it, It's showing up in some of his videos. All right, tuning. Are we going medium-low or are we going low? Uh, let's just do both back-to-back. Okay. So medium-low, both drums, and then low. Nothing in the world makes sense anymore. <laughs> when you got so at high, I could barely tell the difference between the two drums, and at low, I can barely tell the difference between the two drums. Yep, it's that mid range is where it all where it all wow. lives. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Quite interesting. I felt like the medium low was the most fun on the triple flange. It just felt kind of like buttery. Okay. That's where I noticed the feel with the lower tunings. I feel like the whole drum was just kind of resonating as one thing. Again, that's all stuff you feel in the room, but it doesn't doesn't translate to the mic. It just doesn't, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, um, that's there are things that are, I guess, blowing my mind a bit right now about this whole thing because I... I guess in my mind, diecast are diecast, and triple flange or triple flange in the tuning, it's going to affect it no matter what. You know, the, the hoop's going to affect it no matter what. Whatever your predetermined ideas about diecast are, it's going to happen through the entire tuning range, and it it definitely did not. Nope. Um, but in that <laughs> yeah. mid range, it was a big deal. Big deal. Wow. And I think again, I think the reason that diecast is used is for durability more than anything. Yeah, um, and tuned really high diecast hoop. I don't think it, I think it's hard to beat that. If you want a Chad Smith snare drum sound, throw a diecast yeah. hoop on it, crank the head up. It's it's going to be pretty close, no matter what yeah. the drum is. But if you're yeah. anywhere else in that the other regions, 
triple flange is still kind of hard to beat in, to my yeah. ear. And unless you play really hard, if you're breaking or bending hoops, then obviously right. die cash you got to go with. But awesome. Well, I look forward to doing more of this stuff. I want to do some shootouts when I finally get home, get some time in between camps. You ready to talk about our listener questions? Yeah. Let's talk about We're going to talk about it. We're not going to answer them. We're going to talk about it. Tom Brady, can you talk about Gronk retiring? (laughs) Yeah, he retired. Next. (laughs) Thanks for the lead-in. Oh, goodness. I just saw a video with... uh, Johnny Rotten. It was like a highlight reel of him just obliterating reporters. Oh man! Oh really? It was, it was so good. Every question you could just see. Like I, you just you just fed me a layup, and I'm gonna slam it in your right. Face. Yeah, yeah. If you could get him and Bill Parcells together, it's game over. <laughs> Same thing. He was he he loved it. He loved press conferences. Oh, man. Okay. Our first question is from Steve Smith. Um, I've noticed in photos, videos, and uh, firsthand views of pro drummers' kits that they often have a huge amount of space between their top and bottom hi-hat cymbals. So he says, I'm referring to the distance that can be seen between the cymbals when the hi-hat stand is in the open position. I keep maybe an inch or two between the two cymbals, but I've seen many pros have four to six inches of distance. Do either of you have insight into the advantages of maintaining such a huge gap between the cymbals? I have something very specific, so do you have anything you want to address first? No, I just, uh, uh, I don't know. Bigger (laughs) isn't always better for that one. (laughs) I I do not, like, I'm I'm proud proud inch and a half opening <laughs> stoked on I it i tried so hard to read that question without any kind of entendre oh, right. and then sorry but right there okay Dude, here's I'm the tired. science for me if you just like put your you know undo the clutch so that there's no symbol suspending from the rod just lay your foot on the stand relax it however far down the pedal goes just by the natural weight of your foot and leg that's where you lock it that's worked for me and then if you notice there's not enough space then you might have to loosen the spring a little bit if it's too much space you might need to tighten the spring a little bit whatever's you know whatever is comfortable that's kind of where i that that way i know if i'm just chill and i'm just relaxing and play and i don't have to push to close the cymbals i think so much of this is built out of you know the teacher's kit that you grew up playing and how it was set and what you got comfortable with because you could you can fly me across the world and I will set up my hi-hats and my hi-hat stand exactly the same every time without ever looking at it. I mm. feel it with my foot. Mm-hmm. I know what the comfort level is and it has no musical reason other than, I mean, I would say the only musical thing that I'm going for is I have to get a good chick out of the cymbals. So I can't have it too close. It, it does have to have enough opening that you can hear me keeping time with my left foot. But if it gets too open, then I feel like it's, it's you know, it. I can't even keep time because it takes so long to open and close the dang thing. Mm. So it, it, it uh, for me, it's definitely a left foot timekeeping distance. It's what feels good. If I'm, if I'm playing quarter notes with my left foot, it's, it's the amount of opening that responds perfectly to me tapping my left foot. Yeah. I never even really thought about it that much beyond just the making my foot. Well, I guess if I've seen, I've seen some younger drummers when they play the left foot, they're like jumping on the pedal. Like the foot is, is removing from the pedal right so i think in that case you probably want less gap otherwise the cymbals are going to be out of control if that's your technique but i don't ever let the foot off of the footboard all the way i don't even know that i always ever open it up entirely quite Mm. honestly i don't know 
Yeah. Boom. Take that, Steve. All right, next one's from Rob. I've played drums most of my life. I'm currently in three and a half bands. I don't know how you do that, but mm-hmm. one of the Maybe bands he's filling in. <laughs> one of the bands is a 16-piece swing band. Um, it's newly formed, and we played our first real gig recently. The venue was a local draft house, and it has a sound system and a guy running the house board. He set up a monitor that the rhythm section shared, but that didn't really help me hear the band, even after asking for adjustments. Uh, I've been working diligently to get my chops up to speed while playing as quietly as I can, and that helps. I have two questions. Is there a device that can help me hear the band, because it's rare that the whole band will be amplified, that doesn't require getting a whole system for the band? And two, how did Chick Webb, Gene Krupa, etc. <laughs> hear the band if they were stuck in the back? That's a That's loaded a good question. question. I don't, I don't want to like sound like a jerk, but you kind of set yourself up for this. <laughs> Here it comes. Here comes the East Coast. You asked for this, bro. <laughs> yeah, if you can't hear the band, you're playing too loud. That's the simple answer. If, I mean, if you can't hear the band and it's set up in a, a position that's normal and it's like every other band is set up. You got to play under the band. That's just the way it is. And I played a lot of big band. You're never going to be comfortable as if you were in front of the band. It's yeah, just, of course, just not possible. You know, that's something that uh, I remember really struggling with in high school was the way that the high school band director would have us set up wasn't like a performance because we had a very small band room and we were almost like in a circle facing each other. And it was such, so, it was so difficult to go to our festivals and do our performances where all of a sudden. You know, all the horns are in front of me, and I'm like, uh, I've, I'm so disconnected from the music now. Um, I guess if you wanted to, if if you just said, you know what, Dawson, you are wrong. I need to play louder. Uh, if that's the case, I mean, you can do what I'm doing on this tour, which is I have a two channel mixer. Um, you you only need one really, and um, the reason I have two channels, one is my tracks and my click it comes in on one channel together and the other is uh, i put a, a a single microphone right where you and i talked about mike right in between my bass drum kind of underneath my ride cymbal mm-hmm. and then i bring that in and that's the only way i can hear myself because i'm not getting a monitor in so i guess you could put you know a, a large diaphragm condenser in front of the entire band and run one single cable back to the drums but then you're going to detach yourself from the music by putting yeah. in your in-ears and you won't be able to hear and you're going to play louder and louder yeah that i yeah all the i know i all, i would not do that in a, <laughs> in a big band setting i, I, I mean, agree from my experience and again just mostly through college big band a couple couple semi-professional bands if i can hear the lead trumpet player the lead trombone player, maybe the lead alto player, and the bass player, we're good. I don't really yeah. care what trombone four is playing. I don't really right, care what course. the Barry Sax is playing. It's the, the, as long as the lead players are locked in, especially the lead trumpet, as long as me and that person are playing the figures the same way, everyone just get on our backs and let's just ride this ship. I yeah. mean, that's just the way, just the, kind of the way the big band vibe is. Like, you just have to drive that boat and not worry about it. They're going to drag, they're going to drag every unison figure. You just got to plow through it. There you go. Boom. All right. That's cool. I wish I could play more big band. It's been a long time. Um, All right. Last one from Zachary. Uh, I own a 1970s Ludwig classic maple kit, and it's currently set up in in a studio that I'm renting. I've set the humidity level to monitor how wet the room gets um, because I live on the seaside in the U.K., 
It's showing 66% humidity, and I'm wondering how it might affect the kit. Any thoughts? Nope. Yeah, I don't. The only thing I've seen issues with with weather is if you live close to salt air. I've seen that, like, rust equipment prematurely. I haven't had any issues with humidity. And, I mean, do you anything. think, I mean, 66 is late enough that it's probably got... You know, decent glue, decent. Do you think a uh, 66 Ludwig would have reinforcement hoops? It's a 70s Ludwig, oh, 66% sorry, sorry. humidity. That's right, sorry. Yeah. So 70s Ludwig, reinforcement hoops? Most likely, Wings. as long as it's like late. If it's not late 70s, that would have been the, the straight shells, but probably three-ply with, with hoops. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> well, I, hate, I hate saying that, and then he's like, my shells are warped. You owe me a kit, Johnston? Yeah, I think as long as it doesn't change. If it doesn't go from 66% humidity to 5% yeah. humidity in 24 Up hours, and, and the temperature goes from 90 degrees to 35 degrees, that's yeah. it's, the changes are when it's going to crack and things like that. If it's consistent, I think 66 is probably pretty good. I would just be worried about more worried about salt air than anything else. Hmm. Well, thanks so much for sending in your questions, guys. You can always send in more questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Slightly disappointed with all of y'all for not being able to find me a 60s Gretsch round badge progressive jazz kit in either White Marine Pearl or in Starlight Sparkle. I almost bought a kit while I was here, Mike. Oh, you did? Well, two things. I almost bought a snare and I almost bought a kit. The snare I tried to buy and the owner wouldn't sell it to me because it was it was a white marine pearl Gretsch fifties round badge kit and but it was in uh the name band sizes, so twenty two, thirteen, sixteen. Uh-huh. And he wouldn't he wouldn't break it up and sell me the snare. And mm. I I understood, but I was like, Are you sure, man? I really like it. Um <laughs> and then when I went to Drumazon, they had a uh, broadcaster in my sizes in Cadillac green. And then the bass drum hoops were silver sparkle inlay. Interesting. But it was new. Mm. Now telling my wife that I spent like four (laughs) grand on a kit from a company that I'm currently endorsed by would make no sense. I I said, guys, can you just, (laughs) yeah. Can you just date it like 1962? Cause then I'll buy it. (laughs) If it's something I can get from my company, this isn't going to go well at home. But if I if I can't get it, just say it's from the 60s. It's all I want as a broadcaster anyways. What does it matter? This one has cool bass drum spurs that actually work. This is fantastic. Oh, it was so beautiful. I, I, I really was like, wow, I'm smitten with this drum set. It was cool. That place, Drumazon, had so much custom gear. They had A&F kits. They had, first time I ever saw a Massoff snare in person. Mm. Uh, tons cool. of VK drums. It was really, really fun hanging out there, so learned a lot by the way you and i maybe next week when i get back can talk but the british drum company is obviously everywhere around here but those things are fantastic i'm playing kits left and right all their snares mm-hmm. really really good stuff yeah definitely yeah we did we right. review their yeah we did the, the lounge yeah, series kit. you did yeah. yep really good stuff all right it's time to get to our picks of the week uh, i'd like to go first because my pick of the week is now saving me on this clinic tour i ordered a new laptop a little while ago and uh when you're ordering a laptop and you're scrolling down for the options and you're customizing it don't save money on the drives 
don't Oof. get a disc drive when you're trying to play tracks next to a drum set. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking only of the size of the drive because I don't do anything with my laptop except for use it for clinic tours. So I didn't need more than, you know, 256 gigs. I, I didn't need a big drive at all. And so when it came time to choose the drives, I just didn't upgrade to a solid state drive. My tracks are skipping on this tour You're because kidding. my disc drive is bouncing so much because they're putting me on a lot of risers oh, wow. and the laptop. So, so my pick of the week is a little flash drive. It's a 256 gig flash drive. It's tiny. It looks like a, it's not even the size of a USB stick. It looks like a little tiny adapter. Um, it's the size of your thumbnail. Uh, and it, the transfer rate on it is 300 megabits per second. Super fast. It's $59. So this is the Samsung MUF-256AB. You can get it on Amazon. Literally just type in flash drive, 256 gigs, and you'll find it. But it's, it's, it's 60 bucks. I'm running my DAW and my tracks all off of that little thumb drive. And now there's no disk to be bouncing up and down and skipping. Wow. That's crazy. I never would have thought of that. I didn't either. And I, you know, I was thinking like, okay, I'm not running freaking CDs here. What is going on? And (laughs) somebody asked, what kind of drive do you have? And I'm like, a heck a good one. And then, (laughs) so we dug in and sure enough, it was disc drive. And I was like, oh, I remember ordering this and being like, I'm not spending another $500 for a, for a upgraded one terabyte solid state drive. But I didn't realize that I should have just gotten a solid state drive in general. So my other tip is if you are ordering a laptop, get a solid state drive if you're running tracks because they can skip. If you bounce up and down enough on a on a riser and the whole laptop is doing the, the boogie, then That's it gets a little wild. saucy. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, track skipping in 7.8 sucks ass. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that right now. I had a real hard time getting back Sounds on the one. Sounds like the uh, first track on Vinny's solo record. Yes, it was It was literally I'm tweaked. I was like, good dang. All righty. Here we go. All right. My pick of the week is a record. Speaking of Vinny, uh, I don't know how I totally overlooked this record. He played on Am- Andy Summers' solo album. came out in 2005. Andy Summers is a guitarist from The Police. Yep. It's his solo record. It is some of the coolest kind of like it's fusion. But there's a track on there in particular called Circus. This came up randomly on, on Apple Music for me. As, okay. soon as, as soon as it came on, I'm like, whoever this is, this I need to know what it is right now. They sound like they're taking Vinny's stuff to a different level. And it's Vinny. It's Vinny <laughs> taking Vinny's stuff to a different From level. From 2005. <laughs> okay, so once again? it's The album is called uh, Earth and Summer. Okay. Or Earth and Sky. God, let me start over. The artist is Andy Summers. The album is Earth and Sky. The whole album is great. It's got some kind of drum and bass stuff, some kind of Wayne Crancy sounding kind of stuff. But the track Circus, there's some subtle slick modulation stuff that Vinny does in there that just reminded me he's the greatest drummer of all time. Like slick, nonchalant. I'm going to just modulate to a different tempo for a second. Really? Yeah, it's super cool. So it's called Circus. Hopefully, if I can find the audio, I'll drop some in now. If not, just get it on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. Check out the whole record. I've been obsessed with that. All 
everybody. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. To all of our UK fans that I've gotten a chance to meet in person, thank you guys. Your support means everything. It's really cool that you guys listen to the podcast. And obviously, we're not forgetting anyone else out there. I just happen to be here right now. So, guys, please, if you can, go over to iTunes. Give us a little five-star rating and a review. That stuff helps other drummers find this podcast, and that's what we're here to do. So, brother. It was good seeing you from across the pond. Indeed. Have a good, safe trip home. Um, Appreciate it. We are it. going to send off with some music by Simon. Simon.